My guest today is Dr. Jay Nathwani, a chief resident here at the University of Wisconsin. Jay's research is focused on surgical education, and in his recent Grand Rounds talk, he ventured a unique approach. Jay shared some interviews he's conducted with our more seasoned attendings, discussing some unspoken truths about the life of a surgeon and the inner conflicts we sometimes face when a mistake has been made. By acknowledging our personhood, Jay believes we can better learn from those mistakes and grow as surgeons. Enjoy. From the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin, welcome to The Surgery Set, a podcast that explores the field's latest innovations with the pioneers at its cutting edge. I'm your host, Jonathan Kohler, an assistant professor in pediatric surgery here in Madison, home of the Badgers. Thank you for joining us. Dr. Nathwani, welcome to The Surgery Set. Thank you so much uh, for joining us in these last months of your time with us as a chief resident. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. I mean, we're going to talk mostly about your amazing talk that you gave as part of your Grand Rounds. Before we start, I, I always like to talk to the chief residents about sort of how it is that they ended up doing surgery and doing surgery at the University of Wisconsin. Sure. So I would tell you that I came from a town in Illinois called Glen Ellen. <laughs> it's one of the suburbs of Chicago, northwest suburb. And I, I actually came from a, a divorced family. I kind of was in a situation where I had to kind of learn it all on myself if you will, kind of raise myself type thing. I learned early in my life that I like to use my hands. I used to build landscapes for my neighbor. Hmm. That was my summer job. And I also worked at a fitness center and I went to college and I really realized that I was going to take a very kind of classic South Asian approach to my career development that I, I enjoyed the field of medicine. I knew my whole life that I wanted to be a surgeon. I actually thought I was going to be a neurosurgeon originally. Hmm. And when I so like even as a little kid, like growing up, surgery was from a kid. probably till about five years old, I said businessman, and then after okay. that, it was I want to be a doctor. Yeah, I was um, I was doctor fireman for like the first few years, and then I consolidated. And said, okay, probably doctors, right? Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I, I'll tell you that once I got to college and I realized this definitely was it, and it was realistic. I, a lot of that early development, if you will, of kind of self-learning informed my approach in college. And that's where how this all happened. In college, I would just sit down in the library all day and all night and literally just study for my triple major hmm. uh, until I got to medical school and realized that triple major really didn't matter anymore. What was your triple major? Biochemistry, quantum mechanics, and classical music. Oh my god. So I was... A, this is why you're so interesting to talk to. This is... <laughs> I, I, that's valuable. Like well, that sort of thing is really important. I, you know, the funny thing is, I don't know if it matters anymore. It's just, it's been eight years since I've studied that. And I mean, other than the guitar, I don't really solve Schrodinger's equation anymore. Yeah. So it's But you know that it exists, right? This is true. I think that's valuable. I think there's, there's one day where I might go back and hobby yeah. such subjects, but uh-huh. not for a while. And that's how I, you know, the funny thing is actually, um, not sure, you know, UW was uh, amongst my top choices. Selfishly, a program in Chicago was my top choice because it, it was difficult with the idea of moving away from my family. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you, coming to UW is one of the best things that ever happened to me. Met so many great surgeons, They've taught me so much. I think everyone should move away from their hometown and live somewhere else for a few years. I think it changes you as an individual and helps you grow. And obviously, meeting my wife here is, is a very nice plus as well. So is it puts a positive shine on a place. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Hearing you talk about your origin story brings to mind the talk that you gave because Mm -hmm. in your Grand Rounds with us, you talk a lot about how you can kind of look within yourself 
to learn lessons about surgery and how to practice surgery and, and how to practice some of sort of the art of surgery. You, you described doing an internal literature search mm -hmm. where you sort of reflected on seminal moments in your, your own training and then talked to, to some of our other uh, attendings here about how, you know, the, the moments that shaped them as physicians. Talk a little bit about that process. How, how did you decide sort of what, what it was you wanted to talk about in your grand rounds and, and how did you go about doing it? Because I think that the process that you showed us was really fascinating. So the, the way that I got to the idea of my grand rounds really was, you know, I think like every chief president, there are several. The first thing you do is panic when, you're, when you realize that you're going to give grand rounds. Mm -hmm. And then you get to the point of, okay, I need to think this through. I think my topic was a natural extension of my research, which is surgical education. The twist is that I chose something that really we've not researched at all. It first actually came from the idea of one of my patients who really showed that he cared for me. Mm -hmm. It made me realize that there's something that we, kind of a, a bill of rules that we have to all follow. I called it the rule book in the presentation that, that we all kind of develop individually, but we don't do a really good job speaking of externally. Mm -hmm. And once I realized that patient cared for me, I started thinking about everything else that all these rules that I developed and how I was going to care for my patients and when I was going to decide too much was too much or what, what compromise between me and patients and what they say and what I need to inform with my, inf my knowledge is going to say this is too much for a patient. Yeah. And so that's where the internal literature search came in. The internal literature search was meant to actually objectify all the rules that we develop individually. So I literally wrote down since my intern year, and I haven't done this in the past seven years, once I realized I was going to do this, I sat down at a desk and I wrote down every patient's name that I could remember since my intern year. Mm. It actually started with a pediatric surgery patient who just left the, she left the first mark on me. But I would write out their whole story and I would write out my involvement in their healthcare, and then I would write out their, their outcomes and how their outcome affected me and what that meant for the future of my patients under my healthcare. And so sort of what individual lessons you learned about how to be a surgeon from patients whose, whose names stuck with you over the Yes, time. and I think some of that is what are the principles of surgery that I'll pass on or what are the principles of surgery that will stick to me. Some of it's how to be a good bedside doctor. Some of it's where do I set my boundaries? Mm -hmm. you know, there's, I think it's a whole conglomerate and composite of information that we all put together. One thing I would emphasize that I try to do, and this is something that's true for any type of problem I solve or I try to solve, is that I first try to put my own bias away. And I'll try to think about the problem from everybody else's perspective who's involved. Mm -hmm and try to filter down to what the right answer is based on what's considered morally correct or what's considered correct from certain point of views and choose the answer then. That's what I try to do with this literature search. Try to understand it from an attending surgeon's perspective, from the chief resident's perspective, from the nurse's perspective, yeah. from the operating room's perspective, and then put it there and say, okay, this seems to be the best answer and best compromise and the best principle to live by for me. So can you tell us sort of specifically, like what are some, some specific examples of, of patients and the lessons that they, they taught you? I think, you know, kind of not specifically discussing the pediatric surgery patient that yeah. now six and a half years ago. This is a patient who had a very unfortunate abdominal tumor who underwent a uh, debulking operation. Mm. 
she came back as a recurrence, and I think what's true about surgical services is that sometimes we also serve as palliative care services when the patients return. Yeah, and we've talked a lot on the podcast about how we do that a lot, but maybe our, you know, we don't necessarily have the tools or the training to, yeah. to know how to do it. Yeah. And I think what happens is that our past experiences try to inform what the current experience should be, and mm-hmm. we try to make small changes to those experiences and those applications. Yeah. Uh, this particular patient, the parents were very involved in her healthcare. One of the parents would stay at her bedside every night and cuddle her to sleep, and then wake up with her. She had very bad pain from her recurrence and they would try a lot of alternative methods and try to manage this pain. What I realized is us being physicians who want to use a number of narcotics or try to use catheters or try to use blocks, it's just not what the family wanted. And yeah, we give them like a menu of chemistry and Right. Here are all the things that some lab came up with. Here's all the things that we have researched. Here's what all the level one evidence says. Mm -hmm. That's not what this family wanted. And I think what's true is this young lady, I don't know if she wanted that either. Mm -hmm. I think she wanted to have a clear mind. And so the family would bring in a lot of holistic methods to manage her pain. And we realized that we need to respect that. Mm -hmm. And that was probably a really good example of where we realized that we would be treating the family and not just the patient herself. Once we finally sat down as a healthcare team and, and actually parsed this out and realized the truth of this, that's when we were able to finally hit some ground with the patient and their family. And I think what was actually interesting is once they realized that we were willing to accommodate their wishes and make sure their wishes were number one, they started actually considering our options. And so it turned into a compromise. Yeah. And it turned into a dialogue. It didn't turn into, this is what your daughter's going to get. And, and that's what I think one of the biggest things, actually, for treating a whole family could actually serve as a benefit to yeah. the patient. And then you you know, you know didn't stop at your own reflections and your own patients in this talk. I don't know, one thing that I thought was really great was that you, you actually went out and, and engaged. In a sense, it was qualitative research, right? You went out and talked to other attendings about their experiences, and you showed us video of, of some of those discussions. What, what did you learn taking a more general view? So uh, the, the Grand Rounds actually, <laughs> this is one of the slides that I had to delete because the Grand Rounds is too long, it's two hours long, but I modeled my Grand Rounds based on stuff that Dr. Greenberg did in his Grand Rounds, his Surgical Psychology 101, and then Dr. Foley and Dr. Rice did a part on surgeon couples, and then Dr. Yeah. Lailu, one of the transplant surgeons two years ago came here from Turkey. He was actually the the lead for the liver transplant program here. Yeah. Um, and he did some really interesting things also. So I got the idea for videos from Dr. Foley. And what I realized from that is that I think the discussion's more powerful when you engage other individuals because I think you want to hear from individuals who have had decades of experience. Right. You want to hear about somebody who's not went through it only for seven years. The guy with, who's only done it for seven years is probably still missing a lot of experiences. Yeah, I guess it gives you a sense to sort of test like how much is your own personal experience and reflection and how does this form you know, your education as a doctor individually mm-hmm. versus like what is universal to the experience of being a surgeon. And I, What I took away from it was it was really nice to hear these sort of major you know, voices in our mm-hmm. department, old school folks who've been around for a long time who you think know everything sort of acknowledge that they they have vulnerabilities and have had challenges and they've had complications and it's like okay it's not just me right right and that was that was a and you picked up on a very deliberate choice that i made which is i went to people who have been around for a while 
people that they're so busy that they can't usually talk about something like this. Yeah. And also, I think some of the expectation is for some of the individuals in our department is they have to show kind of a unified front of strength. Right. You know, because they are representatives and, and we follow our leader and we have to be positive with our leader, etc. Yeah. And maybe if we don't see this other, if we saw this other part frequently or something, maybe that would change the individuals we were or how we lead ourselves. I wonder. I mean, I think that having seen these folks you know, through, through your talk, you know, People who want to see your talk, it's available online. But basically, this is a video of you know a series of videos from our senior attendings talking about really meaningful experiences in their surgical education, which often center around end of life care, something for which we are not formally trained, right? And the management of complications, something which I think we sort of as surgeons do a lot to acknowledge and try to learn from in formal contexts like morbidity and mortality. But we never really talk too much about like how it makes you feel mm-hmm. to have a bad complication. And so to hear from, from folks who you sort of regard as real leaders, having them say like, oh, it was really hard on me to mm-hmm. have this complication, mm-hmm. and it made me really question my abilities. Someone who you like know, everybody knows is great, yes. you know, um, is, is so validating for not just trainees, and I assume it was validating for trainees, but I mean, as a junior attending, it was incredibly validating for me because... You know, as you will soon discover, when you finish residency, it's not like a light comes on and suddenly you really know everything. You still are in that process of discovery and you discover that you have reached the top of a ladder to find another ladder. And so, you know, I think hugely informative for for anyone practicing medicine to remember that other people are like going through this too. Mm -hmm. You're not alone. It's not all an internal monologue, right? Yeah. And I think what's also very interesting, this builds upon the point that you made is that one of the interviewees actually brought up how the moment he heard that his mentors had made the same complication that he did, the way he looks up to that individual and for him to hear that that individual had that complication three times, it's almost a sense of relief, right? Yeah. It's kind of that reminder that we're all human. Right. And that it's okay. Yeah. I mean, the, the currency of what we do in surgery is human injury in other businesses if something doesn't go well or you make a mistake or like you're in banking right like miss a zero right like something happens on a financial level you feel bad about that right in surgery it's you know the currency we work in is human lives mm-hmm. and so inevitably the effect of our decisions will be in human lives and i, I don't know i like I, I have to remind myself about that consciously all the time that yeah. like this is an imperfect science and we do the best we can and like sometimes we will in retrospect wish we'd done it differently but that the best thing you can do is think critically about like what did i learn from that what can i know from that that i will do differently the next time right absolutely and i think that's probably you know once you kind of get over the emotional portion the emotional trauma that comes along with some of these experiences that's the best way to gain maturity on it mm-hmm. one of the interviewees even said that when they don't learn from it they feel like there's blood on their hands that they can't wash off because and it's very important for them to learn about it. It's mm-hmm. important for them to master. It's important for well, maybe master is not the right word. Grow. Yeah. It's important for them to grow. That that's the way. That's the way to continue to move forward. Um, right. I mean, that's how. Right. That's how we honor the patients and the processes. Yes. We, you know, we don't make the same mistake twice. Right. And we, we respect the fact that we learn from every opportunity. Yes. Absolutely. And you know that you'll have to kind of forgive the fact that I even brought up such an extreme way of saying. That, but yeah, no, but I, I, I think that's true. the truth, right? Yeah. Uh, I think we have to kind of accept that sometimes that feeling's there, and 
you know, you have to say, okay, how do I, how do I find a way to make some right out of this wrong? Yeah, we've talked around this, this area of like crisis management, how we think about bad outcomes, how we think about how we transition to being autonomous surgeons, like in the podcast with Jay Kalura, a former chief with Caroline Moulton, who came to talk to us mm-hmm. about, you know, how surgeons reflect on these things from a pretty academic angle. And I, I think What's really interesting about the way that you approach this is, is in part that you decided that you didn't want to like look at the literature on this, which doesn't really exist, but that you didn't want to frame this in a research context and say like, here's my theoretical framework for you know mm-hmm. how surgeons learn from their patients, mm-hmm. but instead to really just sort of acknowledge that this is an experience that it's important that it doesn't need to be broken down into something that gets peer reviewed. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the way I would continue to like to work on this. Mm-hmm. This is actually the, the the amount of positive feedback I received from the the day of Grand Rounds till now has been pretty overwhelming. I yeah. feel very lucky that I've received some positive feedback from so many important individuals. But I want to continue to work on this. And the reason that is, is that I think that there's a lot of room for improvement on the subject. And as mm-hmm. I kind of mentioned, is that, you know, I don't want to tell people how to think, but to coach an individual on how to manage a situation is really important. I think we get ourselves caught up in the discipline of academic surgery of saying, well, how do we get money out of this? And mm-hmm. how do we get the currency of publications? Turn this into an R01. Yeah. And that's fine. I think the truth is if I want to continue to pursue my interest in academic surgery, I might have to t- go down that road. But bottom line is I think once you kind of come out with that outcome or that deliverable is to find a way to make it back into this hum- simple humanistic deliverable that yeah. somebody can interpret. It doesn't have to be what this table is and what the p-value is. It should be, how do I use this to be better? And how do I make it not sound like such a objectified, measurable event? Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess just sort of thinking, like, concretely, what does that mean about how you will practice and how you will teach? Like, what what concrete lessons are you going to give your your residents, which you're going to have residents here? Right, momentarily. Yeah, and yeah. I mean, you know, I think I've been, you know, to a certain degree, we're lucky to have that kind of on our AGS experience and our BA experience. Mm-hmm. And where you're operating when sort we're of autonomously and taking yeah. residents to cases. Yeah, operating with our juniors, or you know, I, what I try to do with my juniors is I'll try to let them lead rounds, and I will sit in the background and I'll have them tell me their plans. Mm-hmm. And, and when they forget something and they kind of brush it off, I'll remind them that this is a human. Yeah. Right. This is somebody that has trusted you with their lives or trusted you with their with your decision making. And I think the thing to realize is facilitating an environment that turns whoever you're teaching so, such that they realize that if they're in that seat or mm-hmm. in that bin, that they would want their physician to think in a way of, well, what's the best outcome for me or whatever. Kind yeah. of creating that perspective and that emotional mindset and say, well, you know, we can't just let our sleep deprivation and the hours and everything get to us. Mm-hmm. We have to remind ourselves that these are humans and that this hurts them and it hurts us. So I think the biggest thing is not reminding them what the level one evidence is, just, hey, what happens when something bad happens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes it is, I think, that it's not until you kind of experience that bad thing yourself, then you say, oh, gosh. I wish that didn't happen. I wish I could rewind. I wish I could rewind. I mm-hmm. wish I could rewind. And I think one of the tricks is to find a way to impress upon that teaching 
point without allowing that moment to occur, which is a challenge, right? Right. I mean, you have to find that balance, right, between acknowledging that every patient is human who is suffering, right, and your job is to try to do your best to relieve that suffering without getting paralyzed by the fact that, like, this is a person who is suffering and you don't want to add to their suffering, right? Mm -hmm. Where, like, if you have a bad complication in the operating room, you need to be thinking about, like, how do I stop this bleeding? How do I like fix this technical mm -hmm. problem? Mm -hmm. And not like, oh my God, like this guy has children and he's got, you know, a life at home. And like, you can, you can lose sight of, you can, you can go too far in either direction. Right? Mm -hmm. well, right. How do you, how do you find that line and where do you draw that line? And is that line drawn, drawn in the same place for every person? And I think probably not. No, I think there's a wide level of variability. The goal is to hopefully that's all within the spectrum of safety. Right. Yeah. <laughs> But I, you know, I, I think now I think now that this is formalized and now that this is out there, I think what's important is to continue to build steam on it, is mm -hmm. continue to find opportunities to provide mentorship, and you know, I think that's a challenge at this point, especially as this is something that's relatively new. Mm -hmm. It's something that we can finally accept as an acceptable topic of discussion in the yeah. field of surgery. Yeah. To say we're not robots and that we are humans and that we do deal with this. Now that that exists and that we are allowed to have insights, I think now we can say, all right, let's move forward. Yeah, I feel as though that's one of the things that's changed about surgery over time, right? Is like we are increasingly as a body sort of looking harder at like what does being a surgeon mean on an interpersonal level and not just, you know, we're not just robots, right? We like we have feelings too about how we interact with patients. The way we interact affects us, and it affects the way we take care of future patients. So the more we can acknowledge that, rather than sort of like bundling it all away, probably the better in the long run. We just need to sort of develop a language for how mm -hmm. to talk about it. Right? Mm -hmm. Finding the next steps, I think, is going to be a challenge. Yeah. I, unfortunately, I think as we were saying before, to a certain degree, it points to research, but how to prevent that is 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 a point of interest and yeah i don't know how to prevent that just yet right <laughs> <laughs> right i mean this is it's not like it's a this is a topic that can't be researched but i think you're right you you you, you don't want to again like objectify it turn it into a bunch of hypotheses and theories that have no practical effect and instead to just sort of head on say like look we're people when you talk about what that means mm -hmm. not necessarily trying to get grants off of that so much as acknowledge our humanity first and like figure out the rest later. So what is next for you? Where are you, uh, what's the, what's the plan? So I am going to the University of Cincinnati in August. Awesome. I'll go there for surgical critical care and trauma surgery. Very excited. It's a one-year program. Mm -hmm. So soon after that, I will actually, why don't I just say in the first few months of starting my fellowship, I plan to apply for jobs. Yeah, right. And that's when the pants change in size and, and look and I wear a different hat. It's a different about. hat. That's the interesting thing. <laughs> well, I, I'm looking forward to it, and I hope I come back to Midwest. I'm, I'm yeah. really looking forward to that. That's where my family is, and that's where my wife's family is, and that's where we'd like to settle out. Awesome. Fantastic. Well, obviously, we will be in touch as the time goes on, but uh, thank you so much for joining us. I can't wait to see where this work in sort of the fundamental humanity of surgery uh, takes you and, and I'm absolutely certain it's going to change the way that, that all of us practice, which is only a good thing. So thank you. Thank you. Appreciate your time. Next time on The Surgery Set, I'm joined by Dr. Alfred Atunda. He's an orthopedic surgeon from Delaware who gives us insight into the world of telemedicine. 
Alfred shares why an overwhelming 99% of his patients think telemedicine is a good idea and where he finds opportunities to streamline his quality care. We also discuss how an outdated system of care can hinder those opportunities, complicate the liability of doctors, and cost patients both time and money. And before we go, a big thank you to Elizabeth DiNovella. She joined the podcast two years ago and is now moving on to new opportunities. We wish her all the very best. Thank you, Elizabeth, for taking us through this great period of growth and development of the podcast. We will miss you. And I'd like to welcome J.P. Swenson, who will be joining us as our new editor. Talk to you soon. And don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Invite your friends to listen in. And if you're feeling generous, please rate us on your favorite podcast app. It really does make a huge difference. Thanks. The Surgery Set is a production of the Department of Surgery at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. This episode was produced by Chelsea Johnson and me, Jonathan Kohler. It was recorded by Chris Hansen and edited by J.P. Swenson. Our theme song is On Wisconsin, arranged and produced by Jamie Schmidt. Visit us at surgery.wisc.edu where you can find links to Grand Rounds, free CME credits, and more. You can also check out the UW School of Medicine and Public Health video library for a wide range of medical education resources at videos.med.wisc.edu. Give our Facebook page a like and follow us on Twitter at Wisc Surgery, and I'm at J.E. Kohler, K-O-H-L-E-R. Please feel free to let us know how we're doing. Rate and review us on your podcast app, and don't hesitate to let us know of any topics you'd like us to cover. Until next time, from all of us here at The Surgery Set, thank you for listening. On Wisconsin.